If you have your Bibles today, I would ask that you open them up to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, or your device, whichever one it is that you have. We're going to be focusing our attention there in just a moment on a story that is found in John chapter 18. If you've not been able to be with us on Sunday mornings for some time now, we have been walking through the Gospel of John, just preaching, teaching through this particular book, verse by verse. I've entitled that series of messages, Getting to Know Jesus, Believe and Live. That was the writer's desire for his readers. He wanted them to know who Jesus Christ was, and as a result of knowing who Jesus Christ was, that they might believe on Him and experience life to the fullest. That's the reason Jesus Christ said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. This morning I would ask you the question, are you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Are you experiencing life more abundantly? Are you experiencing life to the fullest? If you answer no to that question this morning, I would challenge you to fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus Christ that He spoke to Mary Magdalene when she came to the tomb in the garden. He looks at Mary and he says to her, Mary, why do you look for the living among the dead? You know, that's so true. There are many people in our world that are looking among dead things for life. Can I say to you this morning, you will never ever Find life in the things of this world. You can search all day and all night. And at the end of the day, you will be just as empty as you were at the beginning of the day. Because you see, life is not found in things. Life is found in a person. Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you are wore out, you are tired of searching, I would encourage you, come to the feet of the Master and cast your eyes upon the one who hung and died to take care of of your greatest problem in life so that you might be able to experience life more abundantly. I love what Jesus Christ said. He said, come, let me give you my yoke. My yoke is not burdensome. The yoke of the world is burdensome. It will wear you out. But there is strength in Jesus Christ. There is life. And I would say to you this morning that Jesus Christ wants to offer you life. That is the truth of God's Word. So if you have your Bibles there, John chapter 18, we're going to focus our attention there on this story. 
You know, for me, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, whichever way you refer to it, is always one of the most challenging Sundays for me as a pastor. And the reason it is so challenging for me is trying to understand exactly what it is that God wants me to share with His people on this day. I realize on Sunday, Easter Sunday, there will be more people in church than any other Sunday of the year. And so I always want to honor and glorify the Lord, and I always want to preach what it is that God lays upon my heart. And so God led me to this passage the week before I left to go on the mission trip down to Panitas. And so I've just been looking at this particular story. I wasn't really sure exactly why God wanted me to preach this text, but after preaching it in the first service, it I began to understand what it is that God wanted to do. So this morning, I want to talk to you something about something that I believe is of great importance. I want to talk to you about truth. Would you agree with me when I make this statement today? We live in a very confusing time in the history of the world. Would you agree with that? As I look at the landscape of the world we live in, people are searching for meaning in life. They want to know what is the truth concerning life. Well, in this story, Jesus Christ is going to answer that question for us. Now, let me share with you a little bit of the background surrounding this story so that we can ensure that we take it in its proper context today. If you remember, on the night before Jesus Christ died on the cross, He took His apostles to the upper room. And there, they shared a meal together. It was called the Passover meal. It was a time where the children of Israel came and remembered how God had delivered them out of slavery in the land of Egypt and had brought them to the promised land. On that night, Jesus takes His ordinary meal and He gives it new spiritual significance for those who are followers of His. We call that meal today the Lord's Supper. And we come as God's church many times to observe the Lord's Supper to remember what it is that Jesus Christ did for us at the cross, but also to remind ourselves that we don't serve a dead Savior, that we serve a living Savior. After He finished in the upper room with His disciples, He takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember, He leaves the majority of His disciples at the entrance. He carries three deeper into the garden with Him, and then He goes off by Himself and He prays. And He asks the Lord to remove the cup from Him. That cup represents the wrath of God that He would experience at the cross as He bore in His body the sins of mankind. At the end of that prayer, Jesus said, But not my will be done, God, but your will in heaven be done. I want to honor and glorify you. And at that moment, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him with a kiss in the garden. He is arrested by the religious leaders and the temple guard, and he is taken back to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. And for the rest of the night... 
Jesus Christ is interrogated. They make accusations about Him. They spit upon Him. They punch Him. They accuse Him of all kinds of falsehoods. Early the next morning, the religious leaders take Jesus Christ to the home of the governor of Judea, a man who was named Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate decides that he wants to get to the bottom of it all. He wants to know if the accusations that are being made against Jesus Christ is true or not. So beginning in verse 33 of chapter 18 through verse 38 of this text is the dialogue that takes place between Pontius Pilate and Jesus Christ. Pilate is going to once again interrogate Jesus Christ. I want you to listen, follow along as I read this morning in verses 33 through 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus' kingdom is not a physical kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. You're born into the kingdom of God spiritually, not physically. That's the reason why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again from above. You need a miracle in your life to be a part of the kingdom of God. I don't know if you're a part of the kingdom of God, but I will tell you this. The only way you enter into the kingdom of God is by trusting in Jesus Christ, believing that when He hung and died on the cross, He paid the penalty for your sins there, and you trust in Him and Him alone. Salvation is found in the name of Jesus Christ, no other name. There is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Now listen to what he says. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Now listen to what he says here. It's important. Everyone who is of the truth listens to to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? This morning I want us to focus our attention on the words of Pilate. Three times in this passage of Scripture the same word is spoken. Two times by Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alludes to the truth. The third time is this question that Pilate presents 
to Jesus Christ. What is truth? As I shared earlier, I believe we live in a very confusing time in the world today. People are searching for the truth. And as a result of it being very confusing, there seems to be many differing versions of the truth. Many people would have us believe this morning there is no absolute truth in the world. That truth is simply subjective. That truth is whatever best fits a person's situation or their narrative. But is that true? Is that true? Is it possible for every person's understanding of truth to be correct? Or are there unshakable truths that are rock solid? Truths that are tried and true. In this text, Jesus seems to indicate there is only one correct understanding of truth. Jesus said to Pilate in this passage of Scripture, for this very reason I was born. For this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. So what is truth? Well, this morning that's the question I want us to answer. I want to offer to you five undeniable truths that Jesus bore witness to during his time on earth. Five truths that we can hang our hats on. Now listen to me very carefully this morning. If these truths are not unshakable, all that we believe is worthless. It is in vain. Now, when I shared my wife, with my wife last week that I was going to be preaching a sermon that had five points in it, all of the color left her face. She said, how in the world are you going to preach five points when you can't even get through three on Sunday morning? But some of these truths are truths that we have known for years of our life that I'm just going to reaffirm for you this morning. If you are taking notes today, this is what you will want to write down. Absolute truth, number one, this is true. God loves you. This is one of the core truths of God's Word. If God doesn't love mankind, then the very foundation of everything else that is taught in the Word of God begins to crumble. The word love appears 300 times in Scripture. 180 of those times it appears in the New Testament alone. When you honestly read God's Word with an open heart and an open mind, you must walk away with the understanding God loves people. That's the truth of the matter. From the very first page of the Bible to the very end of the Bible is a very clear truth that is taught, God loves people. Perhaps nowhere is that better summed up than one verse of Scripture. For many of us, it's a verse of Scripture that we learned when we were in Sunday school or at Vacation Bible School. It's the words of Jesus Christ Himself as He speaks about God's love for people. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
you can take the word world out and you can insert your name in that passage of Scripture. Actually, the word world there is ethos, and it means every single people group on the earth. God loves them all. That's what it means. So that includes you and I. The truth I want you to cling to this morning is this. Scripture teaches us the absolute truth that God loves us. That is indisputable. God loves us. God loves us. Now let me just quickly say two things about God's love this morning that is revealed to in this passage of Scripture. First is this. God loves you regardless. Doesn't matter how bad you have blown it. Doesn't matter how bad you have messed up. No matter how many times you have come up short. God is not a vindictive God who is waiting to whip you back into line each time you mess up. God's very nature is love. And because His nature is love, He can't help but love you. But not only does God just say that He loves us, God shows us how much He loves us through His actions. As a matter of fact, it says in Romans, the fifth chapter and the eighth verse, God demonstrated His love for us in this way. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. If I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper this morning and write down this question, how would you answer it? How do you think God spells love? I would tell you this morning, this is how God spells love. C-R-O-S-S. If you want to know how much God loves you, just look at the cross. The cross screams, God loves me. God didn't just say in the Bible that He loved us. He goes, I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to show you the extent of my love. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. That's what Jesus Christ said. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I'll tell you something. I don't know all of you personally in this church, but I can say this. I love every one of you because God has placed love in my heart. But as much as I love you, I would never give up my son's life for you. And don't you sit there looking at me like you would give up your child's life for me either. None of us would do that, would we? But can I say to you this morning, that's exactly what God did for us. He gave up his son. For you and I. The absolute truth I want you to cling to today is this. God loves you. Doesn't matter what the world says. There is a God who loves you. That is the truth of scripture. Absolute truth number two. This truth is actually born out of the first one. Because God loved us. He created us to have a relationship with him. That is the desire of God's heart. Absolute truth number two is this. God created mankind for a relationship with Him. This is one of the fundamental truths of God's Word. 
I want you to listen to how Jesus Christ shared about God's desire for a relationship with mankind. In John, the 17th chapter, in the third verse, this is what Jesus Christ said. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, I want you to zoom in really close on that verse of Scripture today. And this is what I want you to know. The most important word in that verse of Scripture is only four letters. It is the word no. That word no is a very unique word. The word no that is found here comes from the same root word that is found in Genesis, the fourth chapter, when it says that Adam knew his wife Eve. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of relationship. Have you ever wondered why mankind is so relational? Why is it we desire relationships? Can I tell you it was put into your heart by God? We all bear the image of God. That image has been hugely distorted by sin, but part of that image is relationships. God has placed in our heart a desire for relationship. And when we look at Scripture, what we see from the beginning of God's Word and to the end of God's Word, God desires a relationship with mankind. That is the desire of His heart. Think about it for a moment. Abraham was a friend of God. Relationship. Moses saw God face to face. Relationship. Enoch walked with God. David was a man after God's own heart. Both of their stories speaks of relationship because God loves you. He has created you for a relationship with Him. That is the desire of His heart today. It's for you to have a relationship with Him. Now this is what I want to do for just a moment. I want to push the pause button. And if you're here this morning and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have believed on Him and you have received Him, my question for you today is this. What does your relationship look like with Jesus Christ? Do you have a fervent, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ that guides and directs all of the decisions you make in life? If you are a believer, why not? Why don't you have a fervent, or fervent, personal, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ? That is what Jesus Christ desires of all of us. He wants us to relate to Him in a personal way. That's the reason He steps out of heaven. He comes to earth. He wraps Himself in human flesh. He dwells among us so that we might be able to relate to Him. You know, oftentimes the world says that Christianity is a religion. But I would tell you today, that is not true. 
I understand what the world is saying when it makes that statement. But Christianity is not a uh, religion. Christianity is a relationship. When Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, He didn't hang and die on the cross so we could become more religious. He hung and died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with Him. He loves us and He desires a relationship with us. That's why He went to the cross. We were created for relationship with God. That relationship is restored through Jesus Christ. Number three, mankind has a major problem. If you don't believe that mankind has a major problem, just look at the world that we live in. Now the world wants us to believe that mankind is basically good. And that God would never send a good person to hell. There are two problems with that statement. The first problem is this. Mankind is not basically good. That's the truth of God's word. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And I want you to judge for yourself if you think mankind is good. This is his description of mankind written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks, seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Oh my goodness. Do you hear what's just being spoken by God to us concerning about the condition of our heart? Inwardly, mankind is depraved. That means given the opportunity, we will choose that which is wrong over right the majority of the time. At the very core of mankind's heart is filled with utter wickedness. That is the truth of God's Word. Now, I know that's hard for us to stomach, and I realize that's not a popular message today in the world, but it does not change the truth of God's Word. Second, God sends no one to hell. People go to hell because of their own choice. God has done everything that is necessary for men to be saved. Instead, they choose to reject God's free gift of salvation. Now, I want you to hear this in the words of Jesus Christ. Paul simply echoes what Jesus Christ says. I want you to listen to how Jesus Christ describes the condition of mankind. Far from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Those are the words of Jesus Christ himself. Here is the absolute truth of God's word. Please hear me. Mankind has a problem, and listen, he can't fix it. 
That is the reality of God's work. Now, this is the good news. All right? Just hang on. We're going to move off the bad news onto the good news now. It's like the old preacher said, before there can be any good news, there always has to be bad news first. Here's the good news. This is where Jesus Christ enters the picture. He is the solution to mankind's problem. Absolute truth number four. God has made a provision for mankind's problem. Now, because mankind is sinful, we cannot come to God on our own terms. There is only one way that a person can come to God. That is through Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you want to know what that no one means in the Greek? No one. That's what it means. Jesus is the only way. I'm not ashamed of that. I know that we live in a very pluralistic society that wants to teach there are many roads to God, but Jesus Christ made that very clear. Oh, no, there ain't. There's only one road. It runs straight through me if you're going to get to the Heavenly Father. For thousands of years, men have tried to come to God on their own terms. Some say live a good life, do more good than bad, and at the end of life, if you've done more good than bad, everything will work out okay. Others have said be religious, go to church, get baptized, put your name on a church roll, pray, read your Bible, and all will be well. And the list could go on and on this morning. But at the end of the day, none of them addresses mankind's problem. We are sinners, and we can never, ever make ourselves right with God. So God provided His Son to do what we can never do for ourselves. He is the solution to our problem. Number five, as we conclude this morning, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Everything, all that I've said this morning, hinges on number five. Listen to me carefully. If this absolute truth is not truth, if it's not true, our faith is worthless. It is useless it is in vain. Here it is. The resurrection proves our faith is not futile. That our faith is not in vain. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He's writing about the resurrection of the dead to the church at Corinth. Listen to his words. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is worthless. 
we are not, we are, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It stands at the center of our faith. Think about it for a moment. If Jesus Christ's death on the cross is not sufficient to deal with the sin of mankind, then why in the world would God raise him from the dead and seat him at his right hand, a position of authority and honor? By the very fact that the tomb stands empty today shows that God accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross as a sufficient payment for the sins of mankind. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, everything else is worthless. I am standing here this morning and it is of no value to you or I. That's what Paul said in this passage of Scripture. It is worthless. The absolute truth of God's Word is that on that first Sunday morning following Jesus Christ's death on the cross, when the women arrived at the tomb and the stone was rolled away, there was no body to be found because he had risen and through his resurrection he defeated death, hell, and the grave and all who had placed their faith in him are overcomers. Indeed, our faith is not in vain. Ours is the victory because he rose from the grave. That is the truth of God's word. Ours is the victory. What is truth? This is the truth. God loves you. And He created you for relationship with Him. But you, like me and everyone who has ever lived on this earth, has a major problem in life. We are sinners and our sin separates us from God. But God, out of His rich love, mercy, and grace for us, has made provisions for our problem. And the resurrection proves that our faith is not in vain. It is at the cross and the empty tomb that God's undeniable truth is made very clear for all to see. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Do you see it this morning? Do you see it? He is the reason. He is the one who gives us hope because He came forth from the grave, the first fruits of all of those who would be raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves our faith is not futile. When Jesus came forth from that grave, He offered victory over death, hell, and the grave to everyone who was willing to look to Him and Him alone for salvation. 
that is the truth. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning and how it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that you would open our hearts once again. There are people here in this worship center who don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray today would be the day that they come into relationship with you. They would give their lives over to you. That they would believe on Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord of their life. Believing that when he hung and died on the cross, he paid the penalty for their sin. Father God, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives today. We give you this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.